Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, you may have heard the news. If you haven't heard the news, then uh, we'll we'll break it here for you. But it's been out in the public domain. Uh, and that is, is that uh, J.D. Hall, a very famous discernment fellow, uh, the author of Pulpit and Pen, and then the Polemics Report, and, uh, and then the Protestia website, you the guy behind that, uh, he has been removed from the pastoral office and uh, and for grounds. Uh, and his church has revealed that he was removed before a, uh, a pretty severe drug addiction. And I thought it would behoove us to actually have uh, on the program Phil Johnson and Justin Peters for the purpose of uh, discussing this as well as discussing uh, what are the biblical qualifications for the a pastor? What is the purpose of discipline when it comes to, uh, you know, when it's exercised in the church? What has uh, Jordan's uh, church done right? And how can we continue to pray for this ongoing situation and uh, things like that? So, uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you for coming on Fighting for the Faith. Good to have you both back on the program. I, I wish it was for a better topic, though. Um so uh, l- let me let me kind of start off. Um, I'll, I'll pitch this one to you, Phil. Uh, when when a, a pastor or a Christian falls, I don't think there really should be a distinction. Uh, and the church has to exercise discipline. What is the purpose of discipline biblically, uh, and uh, and what is its real its real goal and intent? Well, two it's twofold. One is to keep the church pure. Uh, obviously, uh, to get rid of uh, 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 any kind of gross sin in the midst, uh, and it, it keeps the church purged of negative influences and things like that. But with regard to the person who's sinning, the goal is restoration. Yeah. Uh, there are several steps along the way, and the goal in each case is for the person who has fallen into sin to repent and and turn around and you know return to the lord the goal is not excommunication if if a church discipline case ends in excommunication that's the worst possible outcome you know the the goal f- with regard to the person who's sinning is to see him repent and purge his life of sin as well. Yeah, I I've seen excommunication actually done in the church before. Um uh one of the churches that I attended as uh you know early on after becoming a Lutheran there was a a couple where the wife was committing adultery and she was and they actually the church went through all of the steps of Matthew 18 with her and she refused to repent. And, um, and at some point they basically said, you know, well, if you refuse to repent of your adultery, we're going to excommunicate you. And they did. They actually began a, the church service with the, uh, with the, what's called the rite of excommunication. And it's very clear that even in excommunication, the goal of that was, was the person's repentance. And uh, although they were not welcome to have the Lord's Supper, they were welcome to come to church to hear the word. Uh, but the, with the uh, understanding that they need to actually be a Christian because they're not, they're not behaving in a Christian manner. So it's always tragic then when, 
when somebody, a, a, a pastor, a leader, a friend, a family member falls into sin and uh, needs to be called to repentance, but the church's call for them to repent is out of love, not for the purpose of uh, damning them and sending them out and just being washing their hands of these things. So, uh, Justin, uh, let me ask you a question. You know, if restoration is always the goal, then when we practice discipline, we, I think we need to make a distinction here that, uh, when a pastor falls into gross and really over the top sins, uh, we're not talking then about that pastor being restored to the biblical office, uh, you know, of pastor, are we? No, no, Chris, we're not. The, um, the, the pastor elders are held to a, a higher standard. And, and it is not to say that a pastor cannot be restored to fellowship with a local body of believers, which if they repent, they certainly can be. But as far as getting back into that office and being behind the pulpit, um, no, that is, um, in, in our theological circles, that is not something that would be in view here, if you disqualify yourself in egregious, clear egregious sin uh, as a pastor, then that is an office that you'll you'll never hold again, or should never hold again. Right, right. So when we talk about uh, Fellowship Baptist Church in Sydney, Montana, um, one of the things I noticed is that uh, they actually held JD accountable. Which, uh, in, in our day and age, that almost seems like a, uh, an anomaly, whereas it should be the norm. Uh, you know, they, yeah. they stepped him down. They, they publicly acknowledged that he had been disqualified, uh, put out a statement, uh, you know, with the hope of his, uh, of his repentance and, uh, you know, whereas, you know, I kind of compare how things happen in a lot of mega churches. Uh, oftentimes the vision casting leader, if he's committed an egregious sin, just disappears and, and, and things get swept under the carpet. Or in, in, in some circumstances, you think of, uh, Tabner Smith, uh, whose, whose wife divorced him for adultery. That's actually in the uh, public record in the court documents. And, uh, the leaders of his church, uh, you know, found his girlfriend at his house and they were not wearing uh, the proper amount of attire and things like this. And, uh, despite all of that, Tavner is still, uh, is, is still the vision casting leader of Venue Church. And, uh, it's clear that there is zero accountability. Uh, thoughts on that, Phil? Yeah, I mean, that's an abomination. And that kind of thing has plagued American evangelicalism for more than 100 years. I, just this weekend, I did a lecture on uh, the influence of the Beecher family, Henry Ward Beecher and his father, Lyman Beecher. Henry Ward Beecher, uh, similarly, it, this was in the 1800s, uh, around 1875, it came to light that he was engaged in an affair with the wife of a man in his church. And he was actually, in those days, that you could be put on trial, mm -hmm. literally a, a, a civil trial over this. And the trial of Henry Ward Beecher was as big a deal as the O.J. Simpson trial in our lifetime and ultimately ended in a hung jury. But it was clear from the testimony that he was guilty. And he more or less confessed that he had committed adultery with this woman. But he took the hung jury as a vindication and just simply continued in ministry. And uh, he's been lionized by popular uh, evangelical history as one of the greatest preachers America ever 
uh, produced. And yet uh, the influence of not only his morality, or I should say his immorality, and his bad theology had left a mark on the evangelical movement that the, the movement, big movement evangelicalism, still has not quite recovered from. And in the wake of that, there's been a strain of men who have disqualified themselves in uh, one way or another, who've continued or tried to continue in ministry. Depending on the severity of the scandal, sometimes they can't come back. But it seems to me that there's a pretty clear pattern where they always try, almost yeah. always. They try to come yeah. back and pretend yeah. that nothing ever happened, which is a it's just a flagrant abuse of Scripture, because Scripture is very clear that uh, the first requirement of an elder is he must be above reproach. Yeah. Let me and look. it doesn't mean he's sinless, but it means there's no up reproach that's attached to his name that's going to hinder his ministry or his effectiveness. And once a sin becomes a public scandal, it's pretty hard to get rid of that reproach. Right, indeed. And, you know, obviously, in in some cases, it depends upon how long the sin's been going on. Some of these circumstances come into play there. Um, What is the nature of the sin? And when confronted, does the person repent or do they, you know, they run the opposite way and just kind of go squirrely? I think of uh, Mark Driscoll, when uh, it was clear that Mars Hill was going to exercise some type of uh, of accountability for him, especially in, in relation to the fact that he had spent a huge amount of church funds for the purpose of uh, of rigging his New York Times bestselling status for one of his uh, books, and then also with all the plagiarism uh, allegations that actually turned out to be true that were swirling around that his church was going to hold him accountable, he claimed that he had a direct revelation from God that he had been released from ministry and just kind of disappeared for a few years and then reemerged, uh, you know, reemerged in uh, in Arizona, you know, with a church where he has zero accountability yet again. But uh, the number of people listening to Mark Driscoll nowadays is very few compared to, you know, where, how many were listening to him at the at the height of his ministry. Um, but uh, the, the biblical qualifications you mentioned are found in Titus chapter 1, uh, and this is uh, one of three of the pastoral epistles. And it really it, it makes it very clear that anybody who's going to be in the pastoral office, that uh, that there are moral qualifications and there are also doctrinal uh, qualifications. And unfortunately, uh, mo- you know, if few churches take the doctrinal qualifications seriously at all in any meaningful way. But uh, when when there are clear moral failings, then then they, they at least will spring into action. But the, here's what uh, Paul writes to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or, in, or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. I mean, this would disqualify all of TBN. Uh, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So one of my big laments over the past you know, decade and a half of doing fighting for the faith in either podcast or video podcast has been that 
the, the huge number of, of very popular pastors and preachers, they don't rightly handle God's word at all. And a notable number of them over the over the decade and a half have had a spectacular ministry ending moral failings, which is not surprising. But nobody took the uh, the doctrinal issues seriously at all. Um, and, uh, and despite the fact that it was easy to d- demonstrate that they were twisting God's word and they were not rightly handling it, nobody cared. Uh, but, uh, come to find out if they were, you know, sleeping with their secretary or something like that, then all of a sudden it becomes an issue. But, uh, with the JD, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, I mean, he was, he was a Baptist preacher who was, Teaching Baptist doctrine. Now, as a Lutheran, uh, we would we would take issue on sem- several secondary issues. Uh, but all that being said, he, you know, for from what I can see and what I had heard and you know, with my own eyes and in my own ears, is that JD was a, a fellow who preached the scriptures, uh, did a, a a good attempt at rightly dividing law and gospel and proclaiming Christ in his sermons. And so, as as far as Baptist doctrine is concerned, he he wasn't standing out as aberrant. Um, but when somebody is falling into big sins like this, oftentimes there are red flags or indicators where tw- hindsight being twenty twenty, you can see that there were problems. Um, it, anything like that with uh, you with with JD? What, you're, you're asking me, sure. or Justin? I'll, 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 whoever wants to jump in, <laughs> Justin, what do you think? Uh, well, um, it, it, as far as the as far as the sexual sins, no, I, I don't have any indication that, that that was in play with Jordan. Uh, but some of the other qualifications, when uh, you just read the text from Titus, First mm-hmm. Timothy 3 is the same thing. An overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, mm-hmm. sensible, respectable, hospitable, uh, able to teach, considerate, peaceable. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's those being temperate, being considerate. Peaceable. Those are some of the issues that uh, that I saw and Phil saw and Chris, you saw as well. Yeah. And, and all three of us talked with Jordan and implored him on multiple occasions behind the scenes. You know, it's not that, as you said, Chris, it's not that Jordan was teaching doctrinal heresy or anything like that. But it's it is the 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 combativeness, the uh, caustic nature of so much of what he wrote. It's not that the content of what he wrote was wrong. Uh, it, for the, the vast majority of it was, was spot on and his concerns, the concerns that he had are concerns that all three of us have as right. well. And we saw the same things, but it's the, um, it, it was the caustic nature, the over the top, uh, verbose nature of, of what he wrote and how, yeah, one of the other, one of the was. other, one of the other quali- one of the clear qualifications to be an elder is he's not supposed to be pugnacious. That is, he's not some, someone who picks fights. It doesn't mean that he doesn't fight because we're also commanded to earnestly contend for the faith. But there's something disqualifying if someone just likes to provoke people. Yeah. And that, I think, was a yeah. tendency that some of us had confronted Jordan about, yeah. that he, he seemed 
pugnacious in an in an unrighteous way. And one of the one of the commands that Paul gives to Timothy in Second Timothy two is that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, right. patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And uh, you know, there are times when even Jesus isn't necessarily what we would call gentle by postmodern standards with with the adversaries of truth but he was he, he was overall his reputation was he was gentle with jordan there seemed to be a almost a contempt for that command that he he would not under any circumstances be gentle or kind with an opponent uh he was uh you know sort of like general sherman in in uh, the civil war he just burned everything down. Yeah. And um, uh, this yeah. Is, yeah. several of us had admonished him. I'd stopped publicly quoting Jordan three or four years ago. And he asked me why. And I told him, frankly, it's because uh, the, the, the way you attack people and try to humiliate you, all of your opponents, uh, that's your first response to every everything you disagree with and Jordan would even do that yeah. at times with people who he said he regarded as friends. Uh, and those were danger signals. Those are signals that something wasn't quite right. And, and if he didn't, if he didn't turn around, he was headed for a disaster. And uh, as Justin said, several of us did privately try to warn him yeah. about that. Yeah. I, he, uh, he actually, uh, came to my home two weeks before he was arrested for his DUI. And, um, and the, the presenting issue as to why he, he wanted to come visit me, uh, it, it didn't add up. Uh, and in fact, I had noticed that in some of my private conversations that I'd had with him over the past year, things weren't connecting correctly. Uh, stories weren't making any sense. And, uh, and he ended up saying something in my presence that was so over the top and so wrong that I ended up having to privately rebuke him. And I, and, and that was the best, what, that's the best term I could use. I, I literally toward, told Jordan to his face that he sounded just like the devil, uh, in the way he was, uh, in the way he was talking. And what I was shocked at was that he didn't immediately apologize or back down or say, I'm sorry. Um, and we, we left on a really awkward note because I, I'm not used to confronting somebody privately and then them just not really acknowledging the obviousness of what I was saying. And so um, we and we didn't really talk at, at all after that. And then and then I heard that he was arrested for a DUI. But what was what I did notice about Jordan is over the past year and a half, two years, uh, he's aged like by 10 years. Um, and he, and I, I, mm -hmm. I noted that to him. I said, you're you don't look healthy. And and then he told me this uh, story about having a, a vitamin D deficiency and that, you know, he had. You know, was yeah. it was having problems, but uh, I, I'm, I'm beginning to think that that's not really how that was going down. I, I and that's the issue is is that as a pastor, I've I've had to deal with people who have chemical addictions, 
And the one thing I've learned about people who have chemical addictions and they and they haven't actually gone through rehab, they haven't been treated for it. You can't trust them. They they don't tell the truth. And unfortunately, I I think we saw some of that. And and yeah, I, yeah but I, I I never suspected that he had uh, a, an addiction to Xanax or anything else. That was that was it. Never dawned on me. I even though now maybe I could have put it together if I had had some better training on, you know, on finding these things. But it just, again, it was, it's really tragic. Yeah. I saw him on a podcast a couple of months before he was arrested. And my thought was he is really overworked or overstressed or something because he was slow and lethargic and sleepy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in retrospect, I think, he, he was probably on the, on the Xanax and it showed. I also think that he knew that he was headed for disaster. He sort of sensed that. I wrote him almost exactly a year to the day before he was arrested. I sent him a long three page letter outlining some of my concerns about him. And one of the things I said was, I, I, while I agree with most of your theological positions and, and all of that, uh, I, I think there's a, a spirit of contentiousness in you that is reminiscent of, uh, and I named a bunch of fundamentalists and uh, provocateurs who had discredited themselves in the church. One of the people I named was Frank Norris, who was a Baptist preacher in the first part of the 20th century, who was extremely contentious and very famous in his time, actually shot a man to death in his office and, uh, uh, he was acquitted. They called it self-defense. But most people who knew him and knew the circumstances really questioned whether it was a case of murder. And his name was in the list of people that I named and said, you know, I don't want you to wind up like Frank Norris. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't really respond directly to me on uh, about anything in that letter until about a month before um he was arrested and, and I didn't hear from him much over the last three or four years, but occasionally he would text me, he had my cell phone number and he sent me a text and said, I've been, I've been reading up on Frank Norris. And, uh, he said, my, why did you, why did you compare me to him? He said, it kind of scares me. Hmm. I thought that was an interesting bit of feedback. And then the next thing I heard from him was that he had been arrested. So I think he saw yeah, it coming. I, yeah, you know that that is so tragic. And and um, I uh, I talked with Jordan. I saw him just a few weeks myself before this arrest. And uh, I agree, Phil. He he looked. He was very almost detached, uh, kind of aloof, and um, did not look well. And I same as Phil. I for the last several years. Uh, I have not publicly connected myself with Jordan. I've not promoted any of his teaching. And it's been a, a, a difficult thing for me personally because he has always been kind to me. He has defended me against some of the nefarious people that have um, attacked me, uh, uh, you know, Brandon House and Service Christie. And, and he's come to my defense, and I've appreciated that. But because of the way that he's presented himself and, and been combative like Phil was just talking about, I, I couldn't, I couldn't endorse that either. And so 
Uh, it's been a difficult thing for me, but apparently he has been lying to a lot of us about a lot of things for quite a long time. And it's now coming out. Yeah. And I take no joy in it at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that uh, when Christ has the apostle John writing letters to the different churches, uh, you know, to the church at Ephesus, the church of Philadelphia and Sardis and Laodicea, um, that uh, in, in uh, many of these little uh, mini epistles, uh, that Christ has issues with things that are happening in these congregations. And one of the major themes is you see that Christ is patient and wants the, uh, wants the, the, these people in these churches to repent. Uh, and he actually gives them time to do so. Um, but at some point things run out. And, and I think about uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus, which is the one that I think impacts uh, you and I, Justin, the most because of the the type of work that we do, and then Phil, you do this this work as well. But you you, ha- you have a respectable day job. We don't, <laughs> you know. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it 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 says uh, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works as you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then Christ com- commends him. He says, this, I, but this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And, and so you'll note then when it comes to listening to heresy, to bringing it to the attention of the wider body of Christ and warning people. Uh, Jordan did, you know, he, he, oftentimes he was the first to report on, you know, major yeah. things that should have, you know, that needed to get out. But what was missing was any of the love of Christ in, in many of the ways he presented it. Um, it, it yeah, yeah. I, in fact, Phil, I remember it was maybe four or five years ago. Um, I had seen you use the term yellow journalism, and I thought, yeah, that kind of fits with with this. Uh, is it ever right or for uh, for people who are doing discerning work to engage in yellow journalism, or does do they run afoul of the command to love here as Christ has commanded us? Yeah, and uh, also the the command not to bear false witness. Yeah, uh, to slant a story uh, deliberately is bearing false witness. There were a lot of things in, in the style of uh, uh, how, how Jordan wrote and dealt with his enemies publicly that I, I think just could have been so much better. He, he needed an editor. Uh, his theological instincts were sound, but I think he did more damage to the truth than some of the liberals he opposed. Uh, because he ma- he managed by by treating things the way he did to make the truth just seem odious and yeah that's a temptation and a tendency that all of us who are passionate about defending the truth against uh you know error and lies and so on we need to be careful to safeguard that as well yeah, yeah. so 
And then, and of course, uh, you know, JD ended up having to retract a statement that he had made about somebody on his uh, Montana, you know, website. And, uh, and it, it ended up costing him a couple hundred thousand dollars because it was tied to a defamation lawsuit. And, um, and unfortunately, when something like that happens, uh, it calls into question the entire body of a person's work. Um, if, if this person defended himself and effectively won a court case and Jordan had to admit that, uh, he, he didn't, he, he spoke lies and he had to put issue a retraction. You know, it's one thing when a publisher does it, but it's a it's a whole other thing when a, a, a the publisher is also a pastor. Yeah, yeah, it's easy Chris, in the I'm, heat of a polemical battle to to exaggerate or uh, oversell the 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 evils of whatever lie you're trying to expose or correct. Right, uh, and again. It's it's an easy tendency to fall into. Jordan seemed not to have any brakes on that, though. Uh, you know, he couldn't he couldn't put the brakes on. He couldn't stop the, the because I admonished him about it several times. And, you know, I was the target of some of his censures at times because he 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 took pride in the fact that he would publicly attack his friends as well as his enemies. Yeah. And um, he in in. One in particular, it was an article that he attacked both Justin and me uh, and got the facts wrong. And uh, but even after his facts were corrected, he left the article up with a misleading headline and added an editorial note, a footnote at the very bottom of the article where it really would hardly have been noticed by anybody and claimed that that was all the correction he needed. So. So he was loath to correct his errors publicly. I think he understood that if he ever had to admit he got it wrong, it was going to undermine the, his whole body of work. So, yeah, the point you're making is, I think, exactly right. Yeah. Justin, you had something you wanted to say to that? Yeah, yeah, sure do. One of the one of the guiding texts that I, I really try to keep in the forefront of my mind in this aspect of my ministry in the, in the polemical stuff and in, in engaging false teachers, which I do other stuff as well, but that's what I'm known for is Jude three. Jude writes, beloved brothers, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt it necessary to write to you, exhorting you that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down the saints for certain men have crept in unnoticed. So, mm-hmm. In other words, what what Jude is saying is, brothers, I wanted to write to you about the gospel. I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. That was my heartbeat. That's what I wanted to do. But I felt it necessary to write to you to warn you about these false teachers, men who have crept in unnoticed. So even though warning about false teachers is a command from Scripture, Mm -hmm. in fact, 26 of the 27 books in the New Testament directly warn about false doctrine and or false teachers. Only Philemon does it. So, yes, we must do it. But it is a task that at some level should grieve us that it is necessary to do in the first place, if that makes sense. So, like, I would I would love nothing more than to wake up tomorrow morning and see where Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer and you know, all these, all these evangelical false teachers repent. I would love 
And of course, their repentance would be evidenced by them shutting down their ministries. I would love nothing. I want that for them. I don't, I don't want Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland to go to hell. I don't want that. I've made personal direct pleas to them on my YouTube channel, pleading to them directly to repent. So there's, there's two different ditches. There's one ditch where you think everything is just sunshine and lollipops and you never have to engage false doctrine at all. And then there's the other ditch where sometimes you, you get the sense from some people that if there's not somebody to go after, that they would be disappointed. Hmm. And that's, that's another ditch. And I, that's a dangerous place to be as well. So I, I try to keep Jude, Jude three through four there in the forefront of my mind as, as we all should, as, as we do this necessary work of engaging false doctrine, but it should be a task that deep down should grieve us that it's necessary to do in the first place. I completely agree. And I would note people who are close to me, my, you know, friends and family, even members of my church, uh, they, they, they will tell you that, uh, that the, the job I'd hate doing is, is this job fighting for the faith. I, you know, when it comes time to actually filling my research yeah. pipeline and start looking at, and I have to spend hours watching heresy in order to, uh, in order to begin to, you know, produce videos. I, 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 I'm losing my mind. <laughs> you know, I used to do a daily podcast two hours a day, uh, you know, where we would cover this stuff and, uh, I, I can't do it anymore. I, I legitimately, it grieves me so much that, um, that for me, uh, the thing that saved my life and I, I, and maybe that's overstating it, but it, it's may, maybe really close to the truth is, uh, is the fact that I'm a pastor and I get to positively teach the word of God. And if you were to kind of look over the, the body of my work, yeah. what I used to do yeah. and what I'm currently doing, I, I pretty much have a, uh, a, a general rule, uh, with one exception. And that is, is that I'm not going to comment on a false teacher unless I can spend some really good time teaching the word of God so that that, so, so that somebody leaves with a better understanding of scripture, not just a warning against a false teacher. And so I've, I've kind of really intentionally modified my format so that the heavy emphasis is on positively teaching what God's word says because the Bible is so much better than what these false teachers make it out to be. And then the the only exception yeah. is prophecy bingo, which, oi, oi. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it is, it, I, I don't, it's, it's a labor of hate to put that thing together. I, I, I loathe having to listen to these, this, all this blasphemous stuff all in the name of God. It grieves me to the core that these people have no fear of God. And I, yeah. and I, and I, and I fear for their, for their eternal souls because I see the very stern warnings in scripture. But all of that being said, there, there's, oh, yeah. the, the, I, I'm not out there trying to put together clickbait and you know be provocative and and uh, and I, I could care less how many people subscribe to my channel too. You know, when when I've noticed that when people are kind of paying attention to those numbers, they're really paying attention to the wrong thing. I've told people that if I put a video out and two people watch it and they benefit from it, it was worth it. That that that's Amen. that that's what really matters and. Unfortunately, I, I, I fear that, uh, that JD really fell into some very, uh, very obvious temptations that we all face in the work that we do. 
And one has to wonder when you have a drug addiction, uh, you know, to a prescription drug like Xanax, which I think is an antidepressant, one has to wonder how how much that then impacts your ability to, to think rationally and to uh, and to have the thoughts of the holy spirit it you know when when you talk about having those types of addictions uh, the fruit of the spirit seem to disappear quickly yeah let me go on yeah. record though chris and say i miss your podcast <laughs> you used to listen to and critique all those bad sermons so that the rest of us didn't have to <laughs> uh, so you saved me a lot of grief but at the same time i understand why it's a, it is a grief for you to do it i can also understand why someone who focuses on that all the time uh would would become addicted to xanax you'd you'd yeah. almost need an antidepressant if if that's all you were ever doing yeah and um it's it, it's a it's a danger that we have to watch out for the danger lies on both sides you know there are people who who just never want to even contend faithfully for the truth uh and that worries me. That that's a bigger problem, I think, in the large evangelical movement. But then there have also always been people for whom that's all they ever do. And and uh, I think that is probably an even more dangerous position to be in. Right. So, you know, they, they end up rather than you know, doing discernment work, they, they end up becoming revilers. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, and that, yeah. that's a, that's a dangerous spot. That's a very dangerous spot. And, you know, and that's a temptation that we all, uh, that we all face. But, uh, I remember having a, a conversation with one of my pastoral mentors and, uh, and was, uh, kind of walking through with him, the, you know, the difficulty that I had, you know, continuing imbibing on copious amounts of heresy. And he, he said, that's evil stuff. You can't listen to it without it impacting you negatively. You know, evil is, 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 is something that is actually palpable. There's a substance to it. It, 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 it tweaks you. It messes you up. He said, and he said mm-hmm. that it was a good thing that I pulled back a little bit because he could see that, uh, had, had I continued at the, uh, you know, imbibing it in the amounts that I was, that I, I was, I was heading for a mental breakdown. You know, I, in fact, in 2017, I don't talk about this much, but in 2017, summer of 2017 on into 2018, I had a major bout with, uh, with clinical depression and it, it took a long time to kind of work my way out of it. And, uh, and the, the pastoral office is a difficult office. It's, it's, I think it's really the front line of Christianity, not polemics. And, um, and, and so I, coming out of that, that's where I began to make some changes in my life because it's it, 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 like you said, you can't, you can't be doing this stuff day in and day out without, without it sending you in a depression because it's so dark. And the thing is, is that, uh, on, in, in this life, especially the kind of cycle we're in an apostasy, it feels like the more you talk against it, the, the less effective anything gets. I mean, how many people are out there really turning away from this false, these false teachers that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing all so well and we're not. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. But happily, by God's grace, Chris and Phil, I think you would both in, in, uh, amen this, that we, we hear from people all the time, yep. all the time on a daily basis that, um, that, that have, heard the truth and responded to it. And God is using the truth to deliver them out of the deception. And so that encourages me. God's yeah. not obligated to give us, to let us see any of that fruit, but 
but he graciously does. And it keeps me encouraged to yeah. continue on doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I, there's a, there's a standard email that I get and I get it on a very regular basis. And it, you, the email begins with, I used to think you were the biggest jerk in the whole world. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah this, this is the kind yeah. of standard template. And you kept talking about how, you know, don't listen to me with an open mind, listen with an open Bible. So I opened up my Bible and wouldn't you know it? I found out you were right. I left the church that I was going to and I wanted to let you know that you can rejoice with me and my family because we just became members of such and such a church and our pastor is faithful and they send me photos and and, and things like this and so yeah. that yeah. that that makes it that makes it all worth it but on the other end of it though it still is dark it still is dark and it needs to be handled humbly yeah. and in the strength of the lord and handled according to the love and mercy of christ with the hope with a real hope and appeal for uh, people to come out from these false teachers and to be set free by christ Amen. So where Amen. do we go from here, Phil? Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't really want to talk about where JD is right now, but, uh, how best can people help JD? And, and, and if anyone thinks that we're throwing JD under the bus, we're not. My biggest hope for JD is, is that he gets the help that he needs, that he is reconciled to uh, his church, that he's reconciled to the body of Christ, those whom he sinned against, and that, uh, and that he find a godly vocation to work with his hands and make a contribution in society for the remainder of the days that he has here on earth as a forgiven sinner like all of us. But, uh, what, what, what can people, you know, be doing right now in, in, in hope? and help for uh, J.D. and his family, Phil? Yeah, I think for the vast majority of your listeners, it, pray for him. Pray for him. That's not a fruitless exercise. Uh, the, 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 you know, earnest prayer of a righteous man avails much, Scripture says. And uh, I think it's it's the right thing to pray for him. When I wrote to him a year ago, the very first sentence of my letter was, I love you like a brother. Uh, I still love him like a brother. Yeah. And uh, so my response to him, even knowing him, is I don't want to lose touch with him. I want to do anything I can to help and encourage him. I don't want to see him return to public ministry. I, I think that would be bad for him and bad for the yeah. the, the cause of truth. Uh, but obviously he has, he has the need to support his family and get his life together. And it's going to be a long, tough road for him and for his family. So... Uh, anyone close to them, I would urge you to do all you can to help and encourage them. Uh, don't, don't treat them as enemies, but implore them to, uh, take all the steps they need to recover from this and, and find a way to serve the Lord. That's still possible. Yeah. Uh, it's still possible for him to, to honor God with his life uh, as long as he, is as long as he responds in the right way. And so that's my hope for him. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I, that I was really disappointed with is that uh, when all of this went down, JD cut off all communication. I have no way to actually get a hold of him to, uh, to appeal nor to do him. I. And, and that's the sad part. He's isolated himself from those who've, uh, you know, who care about him the most. It's, it's, it's actually tragic. But what were you going to say, Justin? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because you're right. We don't have any way of contacting him. Uh, I echo what Phil said. We need to pray for Phil, pray for his family. Uh, pray for Phil, sorry. 
pray for Jordan, pray for his family. Uh, Jordan can absolutely, if he repents, he can absolutely be restored Mm -hmm. to fellowship with Christ, fellowship to a local body of believers. I agree with Phil. He should never be back behind the pulpit. Um, he has, he has forfeited that. Um, but let me also say something real quickly is, I guess, is a bit of a rebuke to, I've seen a lot of the, the people who do not like Jordan, uh, some of his enemies really spiking the football mm-hmm. over this and they take joy in what has happened to Jordan. I think that is reprehensible. Uh, I think it, it, betrays a, a very unchristlike attitude on their part. Uh, they need to do some examination of themselves per second Corinthians 13, five to see if they're in the faith because taking joy in anyone's uh, hardships, even though those hardships have been brought upon themselves, that, that is a, a very unchristlike attitude. I would take no joy if something bad happened to Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland, I, I'd take no, would take no joy in that at all. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a bit of a rebuke, I guess, to those people who seem to be gloating over this. Yeah, they should they should be just as concerned about the state of their soul as they claim to be about Jordan's. Yeah. So people have accused me of spiking the football when when like Perry Noble or Driscoll or others have fallen. And that's absolutely false. I've never publicly spiked the football in any kind of joy when somebody has uh, had a spectacular sin and, and fallen in such a way. And uh, and I I can prove it, too. I've reached out to every one of these fallen megachurch pastors. And uh, and uh, and a lot of people do not know that uh, I, I had a I, I want to say a cordial friendship ish with uh, Carl Lentz. And uh, when the uh, the news broke about uh, Carl Lentz's affair, uh, uh, he I was one of the first people he was texting with, and I was uh, calling him to repentance and 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 assuring him that in Christ there is forgiveness even for these things. Um, and, and the conversation didn't last more than a few days before he disappeared. But if anyone thinks that uh, somehow, you know, uh, myself or Justin or others have spiked the football when when megachurch pastors have fallen, that's just not that's just not true. There is no evidence of that because nope. it, it never happened. And I can actually provide evidence that uh, with each and every one of these big megachurch pastors who've fallen, I have reached out to them privately uh, and, you know, and I think that should stand out that somebody who is such a vocal critic is, uh, is there reaching out to them to, to hopefully preach the gospel to them should they repent, but uh, showing some care for them because at the end of the day, we're all sinful human beings and the solution to our sin is a crucified savior who bled and died so that you and I can be forgiven and reconciled to God. So, uh, you know, you know, if we, if we're not operating with that kind of love, then I think you're right, Justin, we need, we need to examine ourselves and say, really, do we understand the gospel and who Christ is and what he stood for? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So gentlemen, thank you for coming on to discuss this lamentable topic necessary to talk about it though. Um, and to provide some clarification and uh, and uh, our, our impassioned appeal for for Jordan is that he that he repents, that he be reconciled yep. to his family, that he make restitution for the wrongs that he's done, and that uh, he get his life together and find meaningful work 
for the remainder of his days so that we can enjoy eternity together as forgiven sinners in the world to come. That's what Christ has bled and died for to give us that. So, again, thank you for your time, gentlemen. Peace, and um, yeah, we will all keep JD in our prayers. So if you found this helpful, all the information on how you can share the video is down below. Again, continue to pray for JD and his family and for his church, uh, for the right things to happen. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.